Marv, I believe you've uh, got a question for me this week, kid. I have got a question for you, kid. It comes from a lovely book called Questions for Terrible People. 250 questions you'll be ashamed to answer. So, let's go. Here we go, then. What one sentence could you say to a six-year-old that would shatter them for life? For life? For life. Now, the little bit at the bottom says they already know Santa Claus doesn't exist. So you can't, oh, you can't that say that. My, that was going to be my go-to. I'm I'm really struggling with that. Um, maybe you contribute nothing right now, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, a bit of like foreboding, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of get that. I kinda Just get like, that. You, you think it's hard... When you can't have the apple flavored juice drink, yeah? You wait, son. You wait. Big Papa Mez is going to teach you how it's going to go, kid. There ain't no apple flavored juice drinks up in adulthood, all right, kid? Now, scram. Daddy's got business to attend to. Daddy's got a podcast. Now, get out of my room. <laughs> That's a good oh, one. Dear. That's a good one. How you been then, kid? How's your week been? Not too bad. Not too bad. I uh, had a driving lesson yesterday. Nice. That's getting better and better. I've basically been told um, that I just need to get better at general driving. Like change, changing gears, pulling away, stopping. I just need to get better at all that stuff. So basically we're going to spend time doing it until I uh, decide not to rip the car in gear or... Uh, try and change gear when the clutch isn't all the way down or oh, hit the brake like I'm trying to kick a brick wall down, you know, <laughs> that stuff. Oh, and the uh, the this week's ch- not challenge as such, but thing that blew my mind was he was like, I was turning after traffic lights and he was like, and into second, I was like, but I'm, but I'm turning and I'm, uh, and he was like, into second. And I did it, nearly veered off at somewhere else. And he was like, yep, yeah, keep the steering steady. I managed it just about, just about. But there's always something else he's got to do for me, so I'm I'm not out of the, I'm not out of the woods yet. If you see what I mean. Um, yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's that whole. But um, I get a real. Go on, go on. I cut you up. I, 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 yeah, here we bloody go. <laughs> I get a real, I get a real rush for a bit. Um, so this week we went towards um, town. For listeners who aren't in the southwest, unless you didn't already work that out, I am from Bristol, um, because of my thick accent. I'm sure you've worked that out already. Um, and we headed towards closer to the sort of centre. And with lockdown lifting at the moment, we um, basically, about three, four o'clock on a Monday, it gets a bit busy. So I would say about 30, 40% of my lesson yesterday was sitting in traffic looking at other people going, what is he doing? <laughs> like, genuinely, there was one where we were going around a school and this guy was coming out of another road that was already been blocked by traffic and this dude was pulling further. And I could see the traffic lights in the distance, but he was pulling further and further out to the point where the uh, splits in his windows from the side view we're covering up the traffic lights, and I was like, "That's useful, mate. Thank you." <laughs> I know, I know. You can obviously look. It's, it's th- is it two or three vehicles ahead of you when you see the brake lights go out, or when they start moving, you can start preparing to move. But I like to see the traffic lights, mate. I, I know. Like to see I know. I like to know where I am. Um, and also, 
one quick last bit. Um, some dude driving back this way from town, some dude decided he'd had enough of waiting behind a car in, on the oncoming side of the road. And he decided to completely turn out and around. The car park was a 4x4. He was in a 4x4. Before I had time to do anything, my instructor reacted. I have never seen this man move this fast in all my life. In fact, the only memory I have is is his feet going down. He grabbed the gear stick and pulled the steering wheel to the side. Wow. And he was he, he didn't apologize, but he was just like, oh, I, I didn't even notice myself doing that. You just see a situation arise and you you deal with it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I was impressed by that. I've been uh, been practicing with a new band. It's all very secret. Nice. I'm sure we'll feature a track you, at some point. Can you tease us a name, maybe? I can't. I can't Ooh. do that. Mate. What are you no, doing in do the band? That. I am the co-guitarist. I like to think of myself as the rhythm guitarist, um, but the other guy won't have that. So I am the co-guitarist. <laughs> I'm. Uh, we we uh, auditioned our now vocalist properly last week. He is very very good, and uh, I'm looking to. Maybe look at do, doing a few lyric writing sessions with him because I quite like my lyrics, but I want them to be better. So, yeah, and worked, prepared for this little little baby, and that's about it, really. I'm just just going through the motions as you, as you do. And I've just decided that the next thing I want to binge watch is Prison Break. So, Ooh, yeah, never seen it, never seen it. It's worth a watch. It is worth a watch, and that's all I'm going to give you. Marv, how's your week been? Me old stunner, go on the boys. <laughs> You never called me a stunner before. This is uh, new territory. Well, I thought you already knew it. I thought we went without saying, but it's good to remind you. It's good to hear. Thank you, buddy. Um, yeah, my week's been pretty good. I mean, again, hectic. Just working, doing other stuff. Um, got a piano track down for a friend. It was really hard, but it was very satisfying to do. Um, and we just had... What was it? Twinkle, 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 little star. Yeah, one like using two fingers. Oh, yeah, so hard. Difficult so that, hard. mate. No, difficult. I'm, see, I'm playing it now. No, I forgot it. Forgot it. Twinkle. Um, yeah, we had a meeting, didn't we, with our function band stuff? There's three of us. Oh, now. yes, yes, we did. Um, yes, indeed. And we're just discussing future plans because we're having gigs booked in. And it's very weird feeling to think that maybe this time next month I might actually be playing a gig. Weird. Uh, it's very, very, very weird strange. to think about. It's very, very strange. So. For the first time since lockdown in Britain, which was March, um, I'm going to have to start yeah. learning songs again because I haven't touched yeah. any cover songs. <laughs> I had such a long break. No, it was so nice, but it was. It's going to be in, it's, it, all the flashbacks of getting back at five in the morning and playing yeah, it's three forty fives, and yeah, it's going to be nice to do that again. Though I, uh, I've I've uh, been saying to a few people like. The weddings and stuff where you're kind of like, oh, one day it'll be me. Oh, bloody hell, another wedding. Hit me. Attack me. If I if I ever say that again, please. Even even if you don't know me, even if you're out on the street, you think, oh, there's Mez. And all you can hear him, all you can hear me saying is, oh, another bloody wedding. <laughs> Hit me. Because I, I think it's really made all of us realize what we have. Exactly. Exactly. I think keeping a positive outlook on things and just going well especially in, in our lifetimes i've never experienced anything where the world's just shut we're, down yeah worst worst never. pandemic situation for 100 years 
and it's frightening but it should push you to want to do the things you want to do and go let's give it 100 percent. so yep that's great can't wait and doing this podcast has been amazing got a really good good one this one this one yeah um yeah, just everything's good. You know what I'm saying? Can't really, can't really say much. Sweet can't stuff, really say much. Mate, I just kind of want to get into it. Oh, and I've been listening for some weird reason. This thing's clicked in my head, where all I want to listen to is new music all the time. I've not touched anything old or albums that I've heard a million times before. I've just been strictly listening to the global top fifty Spotify and just going in on new music. I don't know what it is. It suddenly now is nourishing to me. Um, because before, right. before it'd be like, you know, if I was on a car journey or something, like an hour and a half, if I listen to albums that I already know, it's like, especially in a certain playlist I've got, I'm like, oh, by the end of this album, I'll be at this location. I'll be at this point, this point. Um, whereas sometimes when you listen to something new like that on a drive, it just goes past your head. But recently, I've just been caning loads of new music. Um, there's this playlist that was... Um, from the Good Girls TV show, which I'd recommend okay. you watch. It's actually very, very okay. good. But that had a lot of current music on it and a lot of new songs and artists I'd never heard of. A lot of French uh, artists. Um, but I like the French kind of electronic pop scene. But yeah, just, ah, oh, I just wish I'd done it sooner. I was in such an old music bubble. Um, not to say I just strictly listened to old music, but yeah, it's been great. It's been great. So hopefully it's that easy, continues. It's easy to be caught in that. It's easy to be caught in that. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, to so the yes. comments. To the comments. So, my friend Sam Walton, um, when we were talking about, uh, I think we were talking about our childhood albums, and he's, I talked about yes. Aqua, and he just wanted to correct me, because, you know, he, he, he likes to correct me, and I, I like that he does that. You know, he keeps me on the straight and narrow. Um, I called Barbie Girl One Hit Wonder, and he says, I put it to you that Aqua had two hits. And the second I read that message, I went, Witch Doctor... Of course. course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. So thanks for that, Walton. No, 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 no. He knows as well. And uh, for the last episode with Oshim, um, and he, he listened to Trout Math Replica. He said, I had to throw in the towel after 10 minutes. He said, 10 minutes. So I, I find it incredible that it was written full stop. They managed to make it sound like everything was recorded independently with no one knowing what everyone else was playing. Can't remember which one of you said it but that it has that sound of a group of people with little musical skill being given instruments. Reminds me of the things I try to create in GarageBand. Bless him. Maybe that's why people consider it genius, that it was all intentional. I personally don't get it. Yeah, I mean, there we go. It's up for discussion. As as with everything, it's up for discussion. Exactly. Except, except one of the albums I'll be referencing in today's episode. That is certainly not up for discussion, but I'll I'll give you a precursor for that. <laughs> And then going on to our Patreon, um, Ollie Kant, who's he's such a consistent commenter and I love it. He's always got something to say, always got something worthy to say too. Um, he puts to us on episode seven when we talked about albums we love and we were trying to talk about, you know, what could be a classic now. To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar would be a oh, classic. Of course. He says, when looking back historically in 20 years, I'm confident it will be something that defined the time in which it was made. It captured a moment. And all classic albums do that. And I think he is so on point there. So on yeah. point. Yeah, very, very correct. Yeah, nice That's one, one. And he plays his old Final Fantasy games while listening to the podcast too. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, That's great. He says, you're so right about Princess Nokia. When we, we were talking about childhood albums. 
Katana's also a tune, so the whole album's a jewel. Yeah. I'll have a listen. I'll have a listen to that, Ollie. There you go. Let's get on that. And he had one more. Um, so referencing the last episode of the Sheen, he goes, God, I remember when The Bucket by Kings of Leon used to get played on E4 every morning before school when it natural music oh, channel. Yeah. That was a yeah. thing, wasn't it? And I remember, yeah, I remember when he, I remember watching The Killers Read My Mind. Uh, it was on there. I remember being really sick throughout the day. But it's one of those ones where you wake up really early and you're like, something's not right. Then you throw up. Then you go downstairs and you're like, well, I can't go to sleep and whatever. And I remember watching The Killers Read My Mind all the music channels, and then I went to E4 plus one and just watched the same ones. Just nice. So ill, but yeah, thanks to everyone who comments on Patreon, especially Ollie Cat, because he's just there for us all the time. Uh, if you want to join him, join the discussion, get involved. www.patreon.com forward slash 50 ways podcast. That is five zero ways podcast. It's three pound a month. You get the unedited episode a day early. I mean, what more could you ask for? Probably quite a lot more ask we could ask for, but we're going to get the merch. We're going to get stuff sorted out. You're going to get extra stuff. Please give us time, yeah? We're renegades. We're geniuses. We're rebels. Renegades. You also get a free personalized video. Oh, that is very, very true. That is very true. And we have one to do, don't we, for Marcus Rudd? We we do. Marcus Rudd. Marcus Mudd. Go on the f- boys. Go on the boys. Anyways. Let's get into this one. So Let's get stuck in, kid. Let's get stuck in. So, yes, bands or artists that hate their own album. So, it is weird when a band or an artist releases an album, and then you kind of start reading interviews, and they're like, this sucks. Don't buy it. This is terrible. What was I thinking? You just think, well, but I like it. This is part of my life now. And it really can kind of throw you through the loop. Um, There's a lot of different factors of why someone would hate something or the reason why they don't like it you know it might not just be about the songs it can be about you know the legalities behind it or uh, record labels just loads of stuff um instantly when this topic discussion came up my mind always goes to pinkerton by weezer um it's my favorite album i can't see a time that i'll ever dislike it or stop listening to it when i get the urge to um you know it's such a huge part of my life it was it was a huge part of my life about 2021 when the deluxe uh, edition came out um and it's still like a part of my life now but it's not a huge part of my life but it's just great every time i listen to it, it's just absolutely amazing so the lead singer and the songwriter rivers cuomo has a very troublesome relationship with this kind of work um he pretty much kind of assassinated the album and turned his back on it when he was doing the follow-up which was the green album about 2001 so the infamous quote one of them goes like this the most painful thing in my life these days is the cult around pinkerton it's just a sick album sick in a disease sort of way it's such a source of anxiety because all the fans we have right now have stuck around because of that album but honestly i never want to play those songs again i never want to hear them again so that's not somebody who really wants to talk about the album let alone celebrate it you know what i'm saying no clearly not wow um and you know as a kind of brief reminder or a brief kind of um summation they did the blue album big success everyone liked it oh goofy happy songs then he was like that's not exactly what i was going for did a really straight literal to the point album very open and honest probably one of the most honest and raw records maybe ever definitely up there um it kind of shown us a lot of like private feelings that he had he was on a lot of strong strong painkillers 
had leg surgeries, you know. Uh, it was hated upon release. It wasn't really liked upon release. It failed critically and commercially. Um, and that sent him into a bit of a depression. And basically, Weezer kind of disbanded about 1990, late 97, early 98. He painted all of the rooms in his house black, blackout blinds. It was like living the emo dream, basically. No one heard from him until he came out with Hashpipe, um, which is a great song, but some people were like, that's that's the true that's the true divide in, in the Weezer camps. Um, I, I do love Hashpipe. Great. Vocal Murdy's great. Really, really cool. Green album. It, it's solid, but it can be forgettable. It can be forgettable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so strange because I... You know, I read the diaries that he released and everything else, and it just seems like he got so hurt because no one liked it. He then felt guilty because he he let his bandmates go down this path of let me do a really weird, strange album where I kind of base it on an opera called Madame Butterfly. Um, you know, I talk about I want to sleep around, but I don't want to sleep around. And then, oh, I'll tell everyone I've got a thing for half Japanese girls. And, you know, the song Across the Sea, which is about an 18-year-old sending him a fan letter, and then he's imagining how she spends her private time, you know, um, sniffing her letter, you know, pretty odd, pretty odd to kind of out the bat, you know, especially when you just think, oh, Buddy Holly, that's a nice, cool song with nice solo. Well, yeah, this is it's such a juxtaposition, isn't it? When you think about the Blue Album, um, I love the Blue Album and I don't see it. I mean, you kind of said like, he, there's kind of a bit of silliness in there and stuff. I can I can see the silliness. But I take that album completely seriously. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and it, um, <laughs> yeah, to go from something like Buddy Holly to to everything you've just described, that's a bit... And I mean, I, I can see what you mean by dividing in the sort of fans camp because at that point you're either down with the, like, creepy, weird sort of mm, nice letter smell, or you're down for the sort of I look just like Buddy Holly. Uh, uh. You know what I mean? There's no real... Yeah. yeah. It's almost like the difference between early sort of bubblegum Beatles pop and, like, then the progression into Revolver and the White Album, and you, you know what I mean? Yeah, you could say, like, you know... You could go from She Loves You to I Want You, She's So Heavy. Oh, man, what? Shoot. Two very Ooh. contrasting songs about two very contrasting things. Yes. Um, yes, indeed. So what happened was is he distanced himself from it because he's like, well, that didn't work. So let me just go back to what worked. Very formulaic power pop. Um, some would say very much watered down from the Blue Album. Um, but what happened was around the time that they disbanded about ninety, late 97, early 98, the internet happened people started listening to this album there was a cult around it people went this is actually brilliant this is amazing this is great this should be celebrated but at this point he'd moved on hated playing them i think he had to play them because they only had two albums worth they had 20 songs when they came back yeah they were writing furiously and you look at their work from 2000 to 2010 that period you know they distanced themselves more and more from pinkerton but it's becoming this bigger thing um it seems like now he's kind of come to terms with it. My feeling is that he actually does love it and he really loves this album. He just got really hurt by it. And I understand why he did what he did. Um, but, you know, when you when you release the deluxe version, 2011, you play the whole album at your concerts, you know, like a memories tour. 
I mean, you're probably getting a bit of spondooly. Someone's probably gone, you know, this is like really good now. So maybe just do this and get a bit more spondooly in your pockets. Because around that time, they did Ratitude and Hurley, which are usually universally credited as two of their worst albums. And they probably will have podcast episodes devoted to them. We might even start it on our new um, kind of episode variant of Because It's, where we kind of maybe pick a band or a genre and then maybe just discuss that. Um, so we could do it Because It's Weezer. But yes, Pinkerton. I mean, now it's got 100 out of 100 on Metacritic. It's got one of the highest, it's got the highest scores, got a perfect score rating. Good Lord. Yeah, it's that good. Like, honestly, it's that good. Um, I think maybe, if, even if you don't connect to it, it's just, I don't know, it's just a great album. It's just a great album. But um, yeah, that's kind of what I want to say on that. I'll give you some questions now because I love giving you questions. Who has the final say or the more important opinion on an album after the release? Is it the artist or is it the listener and why? The final say or the more important input? Which one? Or the more important opinion? Opinion, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a consumable product. It's being put out to be consumed. So, yes, you could look at it as the... um, the consumer, the listener, the uh, not the critic. We we don't talk about critics on this show. We do, but we don't. Um, the the same critics that said that Led Zeppelin are a poor man's cream and said Queen was a poor man's Led Zeppelin. So I mean, you can stuff it, all of you listening. Stuff it. Don't want to know what you think. I'll go and listen to what I want. Wait, do you want um, them to come down for a coffee so you can tell them that? No, not going to waste not my even, coffee on the critics. They're not nope. even going to get invited for a lush coffee. Nope. Wow, nope. you really are mad at them. All they're, all they're going to hear is this. You're more than silly gooses. What I think you are, I can't actually say. So, um, <laughs> I could, so yeah. I could let you have one swear word if you like, because i got two <laughs> no, coming no, up. No, no, no. Okay, I'll, no, I'll no, say no, both no, of the swear words no. for me then. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, it's important from both ends because without the artist, the listener can't consume, and without the consumer, the artist cannot be artistic, express, etc., etc. I think I think they're they're both one and the same. They support each other. Yes, I agree. Um, I look at something like which I remembered um, a couple of days ago. I remember Motorhead. There was a big Motorhead box set that came out probably five years ago it was huge and it was like in a big encrusted kind of uh the logo and the emblem yeah and lemmy I said do not buy it because this is nothing i was didn't license this this is like some record company old thing they just want to cash in on stuff songs are all great they're all classic motorhead but he's like do not waste your money i want to say it was something like 600 quid that sounds like it would be around that price doesn't it like, really when you yeah he was like do not buy it so i think in something like that which does play into this slightly because um, Lemmy doesn't hate the songs on it. He just hates what the product is. I would then be What it represents. Yeah, I'd be listening to Lemmy and going, nah, I'm good. I'll stick to the original albums or I'll get a best of Motorhead. That's like three, yeah. five quid or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, again, go back to Organized Noise. It's the listener to, in my eyes. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. If you've set your music up, if you've released your music anywhere, if it's free, whatever, 
you are putting it in the realm of people to want to criticize it or you're putting it into the realm of people to listen to it that that could then be their favorite tune that could be whatever so it's almost in that weird thing of like when people apologize oh sorry 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 yeah i'm really sorry about it. it's like it just kind of weakens it a bit doesn't it you see what it's I'm saying? like when it's like when a comedian makes a controversial joke and now we've got this whole thing of comedians coming out being like, oh, I didn't mean to offend anyone. And it's like, well, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you're always going to be getting somebody's back up. Um, and that's that's just kind of like whatever, isn't it, really? I mean, yeah. you've got to deal with that. We've all got em- enemies. We've all got people that we'd really rather not see, spend time with, or even be in the same country as. But um, just means you exist and you have your own opinion, you know. So I suppose, yeah, exactly. Like the whole apologizing thing, or even even when we spoke about that um, that Johnny Cash tribute album, where the producer was like, "I had a really good time." So if you don't like it, then that's your problem. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't have handled it like that. Yeah. I wouldn't have handled it like that. <laughs> so I mean, to me, that's actually worse than coming out and going, "Oh, sorry, everyone." Like, oh no, I'll try better next time yeah and you get yourself into the whole metallica situation when they released death magnetic when everyone was going oh i just want metallica to go back to their roots and they released it and everyone went yeah i've heard it yeah it's just metallica going back to their roots isn't it really it's nothing you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't so do what you want who cares i'll buy your albums if i like them there you go that is really really well put and said and all that stuff and talked about um Bill Burr, I've been listening to this podcast. He sums this up great. So he was getting a lot of fan mails um, from, he did a bit about stay at home mothers. So he had a couple of emails that he, uh, he, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Read. Read out. I forgot the word read then. Um, if anyone wants to um, help for my therapy to remember words, that would be brilliant. Um, yes, he read out some fan mail or hate fan mail that said, I like all comedy, you know, everything. I like everything you do. But when you started attacking stay-at-home mothers, that's where I drew the line. And he goes, what's funny is, he's like, they'll laugh at the fat jokes. They laugh at the disabled jokes. They'll laugh at all these horrible other jokes that I might put in my act. But the second it comes to something about them, suddenly I'm the worst piece of like human garbage on the world. And I was like, I like that. I like that. No, it's true. It's true. Think about it. I mean, we're so, we're so offended you know what I mean? Uh, a lot of things, and that's absolutely fine. Everyone does, everyone has the right to be offended. I quite agree with you. But as long as you realize that when you're offended, nothing happens, like, you, you just, you'll go, the best thing to do in that scenario is either learn to laugh at yourself, or if it's a scenario that's way too traumatizing and you need to not know about that, don't go, don't go and listen to the guy. Don't, don't buy tickets to his shows. You yeah. know what I mean? That's like, I remember a whole thread um, on on the internet years ago about, so you know, um, Angel of Death by Slayer? Of course I do, yes. The whole thing, you obviously know the subject matter. I do. Yes. So that is a bit more universal. That is a bit more like, okay, you know, take it easy, boys. But this is something else. Loads of people were getting offended at this because it was openly talking about the Holocaust. And there, there's lyrics in there talking about Joseph Mengele and how disgusting he is and all this. But just the mention 
of the subject was offending people. Um, and there needs to be a distinct line of he's he's not making light of Holocaust sufferers. You know what I mean? He's not making light of people who who died. He he's just written a song about it. You know what I mean? He's he's been creative using that subject. It's bottled, and it is not something I'd undertake. That either works or it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, but no, and I think that's the same deal with this this guy you're you're talking about. This comedian. It's just I like, just don't go and listen to him. Then like, yeah, it's 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 fine. Like you're okay. Go and go and uh, go and listen to Bobby Davra or whatever it is you uh, you clearly think you love all comedy and like to enjoy. Other comedians are available, of course. Yeah, we celebrate all comedians, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave. Uh, I've got another kind of, I've got a quote here and I want to get your opinion on it, but I'm going to wait till you've done your album pick, Mez, because that was my half album. Okay. So please tell us, what is the album you've picked for us? Bush Week, laddie boy. So this week I decided to go to a band that I am aware of, I have listened to. In fact, I really enjoy listening to. The album Not Up For Discussion is Pet Sounds. That is oh. not up for discussion. That is a... Go and listen to it. Can't tell you. Sorry. So, the album I did this week, and I've already got the feeling from you, Marv, that you know a little bit more about this album than I do, Maybe. is the is the MIU album by the Beach Boys. Um, so, it was released in 1978. It is 32 minutes and 19 seconds long. Very short. I was shocked at that. Yeah, a nice... I think that's a, a great length. Yeah, it doesn't outstay its welcome at all. Um, the singles are Peggy Sue, Hey Little Tomboy, and Come Go With Me. The average ratings, they range from sort of average to bad. And this is even now. Um, so, I listened to this album in one wallop because it was half an hour long. Um do you know what? I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. There are elements in there that, it, well, it's a Beach Boys album. Like you said earlier, you can hear it. It sounds like a Beach Boys album. Um, right right off the bat, right off the bat, the very first tune, uh, She's Got Rhythm, is straight in. I think there's like a drum fill and then it's straight in. And in actual fact, when I was listening to it today, revisiting it, I had earplugs in. And I had to turn it down because it came in so, so like big and hard. I was like, oh, Christ. And it's the, a Beach the song, Boys the album. song, yeah, the song. The song, yeah, 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 yeah the, the song. song. The song, definitely other, other innuendos are available. Uh, even Queen. Even Queen. So I got through this album and it wasn't getting through it at all. I really enjoyed it. In fact, I've listened to it twice today. Nice. I really like it. And then I went off on a bit of a tangent and listened to some of the classics. Wouldn't it be nice? I get around. And actually, one of my most favorite songs of all time, That's Why God Made Radio. Oh, it's such a good tune. It's banging. I, it? I love it so much. It's fantastic. Can you remember sitting down? I think we were like... Um, we, we were, were at, the, at boys. the boys' flat, weren't we? Um, so yep. We were at Matt and Robbie's flat. And yes, Doyle's we were, flat. yep. And it was either something like, because we used to sometimes sleep there after a gig if we had another gig the next day. I can't remember what the, or we just turned up. I remember Doyle was like there that. and we started talking about the Beach Boys and we were just like, 
that song's great. And we just listened to it. Watched the video where it's really, really funny where they're like in the hut at the end. Yeah. Granddad, what are you doing? <laughs> Granddad, don't go, don't go getting your surfboard out. You'll break <laughs> your back. And he yeah. did. And he did. R.I.P. Mike Love. Uh, he's not dead, though, is he? He's not dead, no. Okay, then, so good good stuff there. But yeah, that song's a banger. That song's <laughs> a banger. Um, yeah, oh, it's She's great. Got Rhythm. I really, really liked it. But I, I put, do, yeah. I put in my notes, I was like, that's a very high note to start on, isn't it? Yes. An incredibly oh, high note. Oh, mate. But the, the interesting thing is, so my... My impression of the Beach Boys, my very first impression, you are already going to know what that is. I hope. Relates to a band that I grew up being obsessed with. Oh, yeah. And you absolutely detest it. I love it. <laughs> I love that you detest it. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just not very good from two bands. Two oh, bands collaborating man. in an era, the 90s, where they're just not in favour I don't know who said it, yeah. yes to this, and it just comes across terrible. Uh, it shouldn't Merit, have happened. I think Merritt is talking about the song. Fun, fun, fun by the Beach Boys, but it's featuring Status Quo. The music video yeah. the, on, that's on YouTube, I think it might be in like a TV show or something, but it's got Scylla Black Yeah, we've there. watched it. Yeah. Oh, it's And you were like, terrible. that doesn't look live. And through growing up and listening to it and really enjoying that version, I know it wasn't live. Um, <laughs> and it just brings us back to the question, who is this for? Um, yeah, it's it's a weird one, Matt, but I recommend going and checking it out. It is absolutely no different to the original in anything, apart from like Francis Rossi singing the the lead line. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just very weird. I mean, they've got all of status quo there, and then they've got is it is it the four vocalists at I that time? They the have, Beach Boys. They've got Mike Love. They've got Carl Wilson, and they've got Bruce Johnson. I think that's three people singing. It's three. Yeah, no, no, you're right. So, yeah, it's basically just Francis Rossi singing the lead with those three backing them up. Oh, and Brian Wilson might be playing the piano. Possibly. I'd have to go and look at it again. And again, this is, this is the theme with the Beach Boys. For people who don't already necessarily know the history of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson's kind of in and out, kind of active, kind of not. He kind of stopped touring with them, but was still writing their stuff. This is what um, Pet Sounds kind of originated as. But yeah, when you get into 70s Beach Boys and, you know, especially around this time, there's definitely a theme of Brian Wilson starting a project um, and then some members kind of taking the reins off of him and kind of going like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from here. We'll, we'll finish it off. Don't you worry. And you kind of yeah. get mixed results. You like, you get the Brian Wilson songs, which are really, really good. And then other stuff kind of interspersed in. So this album is in that vein really, isn't it? But it's not Summer of Love, which you showed me this week. Oh, no, it's not Summer of Love. That whole <laughs> album deserves a... That that album will be on somewhere. That will be on somewhere. We'll probably put that Mate. on something like, I don't know, shouldn't be in that era or like bands that should have stopped or <laughs> I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying? But Summer of Love album is... Oh, it's... I mean, when Mike Love is rapping on it... Oh, mate. Maybe you should have one... a... Maybe you should have a think. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is they're obviously trying to stay current and evolve with the times, but unfortunately, you say Beach Boys, people people hear one thing. And if you're not doing that one thing, I can't see it going well. Um, you sent me that video and I listened to it 
and I listened to it again and again, and I was just kind of like, I'm not getting this. In fact, the only thing it reminds me of, do you remember that 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 American um, priest and his wife making that rap video to try and bring in the young kids? I'm not yeah. going to say the line. That's because Jesus Christ is mad. Yeah. Uh, it's that it is that i'm sorry i'm sorry mike love but that is what it is kid all right you've you've soiled yourself there and obviously whatever but yeah no that that killed me actually i was very very amused so yes this album i have decided to pick a favorite and a least favorite and we'll get on to why my favorite is the last track winds of change interesting the reason why it's my favourite... I mean, I think the whole album's lovely. It's very nice. It's got its moments, but it's very nice. Um, Winds of Change is just lovely. It's just a really nice song. I really enjoy listening to it. It's, it's, very, it's quite slow. It's almost ballady. In fact, I would call it a ballad. Um, something I did notice on this, it, like we said, it sounds like a Beach Boys record. The chord changes really draw me in. They really pull me in. Um, which is something the Beach Boys always do, even even on something like um, Surfing USA. It's it's obviously just like a twelve bar, but that but the the intertwining close harmonies of the vocals it just pulls me in. It grabs me by the by the bollards. Yeah, exactly. And it and and, and it's just a really enjoyable listen. Um, and that whole wall of vocal harmony coupled with good instrumentation and here's a fun fact to you marv don't know if you know this do you know who's playing bass on good vibrations i would only think it would be carol k that's the only person i can think of spot on it's carol k nice um and i believe she just came up with that probably um so that's that that's a really, really nice little snippet. If anyone doesn't know about Carol Kay, I urge you, go and look it up. There's a really good documentary on YouTube about her. Um, will shock you. Will shock you. You've heard her without even knowing that it's her. She's amazing. Anyway, yes, Winds of Change. Absolutely love it. Wonderful. I've got a little... Uh, I've got a little oh, go uh, on. I always buy the... Uh, I went into a big phase of buying the uncuts. Um, they do like an ultimate music guide on an artist. So it'd just be a lot of their like um, articles on a certain band. So they did the Beach Boys one. This is what yeah. is, is said about this song. Um, a co-write between Altback and his former King Harvest bandmate Ed Terluja. Winds of Change ends this sad affair with a strings-laden pile of sentimental gloop whose cascading vocal harmonies can't disguise the poor condition of Brian's voice. Disagree. I disagree. I think it's a lovely song to be honest. But that's that's our mission statement. That's the point. I love it. That critic doesn't. Whatevs, whatevs Trebs, keep on. Whatever, I'm going to get two PS1 soon, so whatever. So, yeah, so shut up, mate. My least favourite. Which one do you think is my least favourite, Marv? Well, I think that's hard. I My least favourite was Hey Little Tomboy. Oh, we're on the par, baby. We're on par. It just, that's my it least favourite. It felt disjointed to me, right? And there was it's something weird, about mate. there was something about the vocals being like quite up front, like yeah. there was like a lack of reverb. It's very dry, almost yeah. like they were the highest out of all the other songs. Those yeah. vocals on that track really high in the mix, and like the phrasing, it felt very like they did a first take. Yeah, everyone's just a bit like, and you escape. It's kind of like that. 
But the re- the main reason why it's my least favorite. Have you read the lyrics? Because we're going to do a lyric reading. Um, I have read some of the lyrics. I have a little snippet here, but I'm not going to say them because I feel like we've got the same um, snippet of lyrics. Merit, go for it. So, the song starts off with, Hey, little tomboy, sit here on my lap. Hmm. 1978. We're still progressing through, but anyway. I got things I got to tell you. Have you now? Okay. No more skateboards. Put away your baseball mitt. Your rough living days are through. So, this song is about, obviously, tomboys. Girls who, for whatever reason, act a bit more like boys and sometimes look a bit more like boys. Nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, uh, here, he is openly saying, you should come and sit on my lap. And basically, you can't be the way you are anymore. But we'll we'll progress. Um, the next bit's kind of about going places and finding boys that will love you. And they're doing it all over the world. That is a line that runs strong through this song. And I, I like the commitment to the Beach Boys. They're always thinking globally. They never think... Yeah, they are. You know, Absolutely. They might think California. They're based in California. And they, you know, all about the beaches and stuff. And driving they're to get, not in California, driving to get a hamburger patty. But I'm telling you... Where are they then? They're in California. Ah, uh, that's that true. That kid, sorry. Uh, so we then have what I'd call the second verse slash chorus. Hey, no, this is the chorus. Sorry, I'm talking rubbish here, lads. So we've got hey little hey little hey little tomboy. <laughs> Time to turn into a girl. Ooh. Um. Then two more lines we've heard before. Hey, little tomboy, I've had my eyes on you. Mm. (laughs) Thinking what a girl you could be. (laughs) This is kind of going downhill. This is where it gets bad, right? Yeah, with the same intensity of our dear Plastic Ono band Side B. Mm. I smell perfume. Let's try some cut-off jeans. Oh, that's weird, man. Look at all the changes I see. So I want to be with you, but you've got to change. And I love the smell of perfume. They're doing it everywhere. So it's, that line to me is almost like a bit of a, oh, so you know you get caught doing something at school. And you go, oh, but he's doing it. Yeah. So it's like that. It's almost <laughs> like a bit of, oh, everyone's doing it. Don't worry about it, little tomboy. All around oh. the world. Weird. Look at all the stuff so I've been weird. doing in Lithuania. Come on, mate. So, so, and I'm so happy to get rid of that from my, uh, from, from my, my safari list there. Oh, (laughs) mate, it's just weird. I don't know if it's because we now, we're now in 2021. Things are a lot more progressive, open, Mm. understanding, and, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. That's way, that's the way humans should evolve, but it just doesn't age well, to be honest with you. That's how I feel. The only so, the only thing I managed to find was because again I the backstory I seen on this album was that Brian Wilson started a project called Adult Child. Um, yeah, I briefly read that, but go yeah. on. I want to hear. I want to hear what you found. This was the only song which um, appeared in both the albums track listings. So in the Adult Child, okay. I guess demo or unreleased album, 
and then MIU. So I guess yeah. it, an, an, an adult child is a concept album. So the reason why it sounds so disjointed from the rest of the songs is that it yeah. has nothing to do thematically. So no. unless you listen to the adult child album, maybe it might make a bit more sense, but possibly still it, it like now it just, it, it's pervy, mate. very horrible tasting feeling in my mouth. Yeah. And the, the, the whole thing with the Beach Boys. So to me, the Beach Boys, wouldn't it be nice? Is an absolutely revolutionary pop song about. Wouldn't it be lovely if we were a bit older, so we could move out and we could be adults and do adult things? And now all of a sudden he's like, "Hey, hey there, little tomboy! Time for you to be a girl for me." It's just like, dude, come on, Merit. You missed the chance to do one of the classic vines of the century there. Oh, did I? Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear. <laughs> hey, how you doing, little mama? Let me whisper in your ear. Now, if okay. Mike Love was to sing that instead, that would fine. be great. Absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. No, mate. I agree. Oh, I yeah. think it's the worst track That's... on the album. Yeah, and it's and everything else, it has, like you say, it has nice themes, and it's it's quite poppy and nice. But I think that's the other thing. It's that classic songwriting thing of everything that's poppy and nice. But through my mind, his intentions are a little bit, little bit seedy and horrible. Um, whether it was written intentionally to be that way is another matter. So I have a critic rating here. Now, this is part of my new sort of thing. My new sort of, not schedule, but my new sort of box ticking. I'm going to give you what I think, what somebody else thinks, and then we're going to have an overall. Nice. So, we have a critic here, and I hate critics, because they're almost always wrong and sod them. They make too much money, and I should be a critic, because I'm so much nicer. (laughs) Anyway, music critic Nick Kent, it it sounds like Kent, I can tell you that, (laughs) called the album dreadful. He said that, its pitiful content was ignored by critics upon its initial release. Sorry, that was the start of a sentence. Upon its initial release, Rolling Stone stated, MIU album seems contrived and artificial right from the start. The tracks strive to recapture the dreamy adolescent innocence of the Beach Boys' earliest hits. So to me, I relate that to Hey Little Tomboy. It's like, you've got the like it says, the dreamy adolescence and the innocence pumped in where the meaning is a it's a little bit more unpleasant than wouldn't it be nice? I get around, although I get around. I've got some interesting theories about that track, but for another day. Um, yes. Um, er, from earliest hits, full not so much because of the concepts are dated, but because the group can't infuse new material with the same sense of grandeur that made the old songs such archetypal triumphs. Throughout, the lackluster playing and singing has a melancholy edge, almost as if the Beach Boys are fully aware that they've outgrown this kind of teen fantasy, but can't think of any place else to go. Now, I don't really hear lackluster playing. I maybe maybe I'm immune to it because I've only listened to it, I don't know, two, three, four times. But I I didn't get that impression. I as as I've said, I I enjoyed the album. But I don't know. I mean, Rolling Stone. I mean, I think they seem to think they they have a monopoly on what everyone should listen to. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's complete bollocks, to be honest with you. But, um, yes. So I do have another quote here. Um, I believe it's Dennis Wilson. Yes, it's Dennis Wilson. When asked about MIU album in the British press, Dennis Wilson said that he doesn't believe in that album and that it was an embarrassment to my life. It should self-destruct. I hope that the karma will fuck up Mike Love's mediation forever. Reflecting on the album in 1992, Mike Love noted it was too democratic, everybody coming in into it with their song, which is okay. It's like if you have an album and have a hit song on it, and it's very commercially viable, doesn't it make sense to have another song that would also be commercially viable? Yeah, I totally get that, absolutely. And a third and a fourth. And 95, Brian... Wilson, obviously, said that he could not remember making the album, claiming that he had gone through a mental blank out during this period. So it's not looked on fondly by them at all. Not 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 at all. Um But yeah, I mean that 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 critical opinion of it, it just doesn't seem to reflect how the album sounds in my mind. As I said, I enjoyed it. Um and now we have a few points from Mez. Nice. Just leading forward. My favourite part. Uh, there we go. So it's an over, to my mind, it's an overall inoffensive album with some good and okay songs on it. Now, I changed my mind on that since I've typed that. I actually really enjoyed it. So this is kind of my thought. Most of the songs are either two minutes, two and a half, and then two of them are sort of three, three and a half minutes long. That gives me the impression, and this could be feeding back to what you were saying, um, that the songs are almost a large taster with more to be added later on. It's like you've got to have downloadable content. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because, in fact, there's one, and I can't remember which one it was, and it's killing me. There's one song where it just stops. Like like the precipice yeah. on the edge of a cliff. It just stops. Wow. And it's like, oh, Okay, then it's not bad. You just don't expect it. Um, but I quite like that. It's quite fresh. Uh, the first three or four songs all fade out and all have like some sort of drum pattern in the intro, I do believe, which I'm kind of like, okay. Because on my first listen, I was like, do all of them do that? So I listened again. I was like, okay, not all of them do, but I would maybe spread those up and get rid of Hey Little Tomboy altogether. But, <laughs> but yeah. A lot of it can be quite forgettable. That is something else. Again, maybe yeah. I should listen to it more. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's formulaic. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, it absolutely is. I know I've not... My knowledge of 70s Beach Boys onwards is from Best yeah. Ofs. I've never done okay. album by album. It's definitely something that I'd like to think about doing. Not in my new music yeah. phase, that is. Um, but I know that... <laughs> Some people have said it's like uh, there's underrated gems in there, and when I listen to this album, it sounds like classic Beach Boys. Yeah, it I'm does. like it maybe does. this is one of the ones with the underrated gems on it. But maybe if you think about from Pet Sounds onwards, they weren't really. They did a lot of experimenting, especially and 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 seventies. They were experimenting a lot with the times. I guess this album goes back to early sixties Beach Boys pre Pet Sounds. So uh, maybe yeah. it's a regression. Maybe that's then why it wasn't yeah. liked so much. But when I listen to it, knowing the li- I, the limited amount of Beach Boys maybe that I know in terms of their full discographies, 
I really enjoyed it. Um, Come Go With Me. Really like that. Kona Coast. Sweet Sunday kind of love. Like, just all sounds like the Beach Boys. It, it's almost yeah. like it's almost like I could use if some if someone never heard them and go, what do they sound like? And I couldn't use any classic era Beach Boys. I could go to these and be like, this is what they sound like, and it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't misrepresent them, would it? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, maybe also just a quick point. The page I was looking on to gain information about this album said it was their 22nd album. That yep. is not true. That Surely is, not. That is definitely true. They they were, I don't know if this was um, record contracts of the time, but definitely for Beach Boys, something like Kiss as well, like very prolific, over, overworked. Probably the reason That's why insane. Brian Wilson had a mental breakdown, definitely Probably, suffered and struggled, yeah. but they did a lot of albums, a lot of albums. In 1978, you're working on your 22nd album. I'd expect you to be Vivaldi at that point. You know what I mean? There you go. But that's another episode for another day. People are oversaturated. And I I already know the person I'm going to do. So, Oh, yes. Here we go then. Yeah. (laughs) But no, yeah. That was was actually going to be my point. So I say it's quite forgettable. But as you're mentioning song names, I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. And oh, yeah, that one. So maybe I just need to give it more time. However, you put it up against something like Pet Sounds, like That's Why God Made Radio, all these all these absolutely amazing songs, I suppose I suppose, yeah, maybe maybe they are a bit forgettable, but like you say, if twenty second album, I mean I would think you'd be running out of things to write at that point. Definitely. Yep. So you can understand to some extent why they are all two minutes long, and <laughs> there are sort of subjects where you're kind of like, it's a bit weird you've delved into that. Um, but no, um, I recently gave Pet Sounds a, a re-listen as well, and for the second time, our listeners, I'm not going to say anything. If you haven't listened to it, you need your head looking at. Go and listen to it. It will change your life. Brilliant album. It's a brilliant album. And again, maybe it was the same thing... Um, happening here with me like a kind of blue where um or no not that kind of blue sorry when we were talking with jack sharp about following up successful albums they're yes. never ever ever gonna live up to it no and not maybe like kind of blue, actually but but just you're gonna listen to this and your first thing's gonna be this isn't pet sounds or this isn't fun 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 this is yeah get around it's like fifth that's 15 years since their first record um, between their first one and an MIU. You think about bands that have gone on for 15 years at that point. So I choose Chili Peppers. 83, 84 was their first. I think 84, right? Their first record. 15 years, they were doing Californication. They hadn't even released it yet. And I want to say that is their... Maybe their seventh record then? That's bad. Pretty sure it might be their seventh record by that point. So you think quite quite different as well from when you compare the two, completely different. Yeah, both both bands. But uh, what am I on about both bands? Um, Chili Peppers. Yeah, completely different. Both albums. Yeah, um, but MIU. Like I, I don't know. I just the the fact they're still together uh, at that point. Um, I think what happened here is is that they they recorded some of this on like a transcendental med- meditation kind of. Uh, they almost yeah. built a studio there. So you know, a lot of them are doing drugs. At this point, going on this meditation center was like, yeah, no drugs. So 
they kind of got devoid of ideas. They kind of all just kind of drying out. And yeah. It was a kind of just like, well, we're just going to have to make stuff, have to make stuff. I want to say this, that their last album on their original contract before they kind of sign a new one. I want to say they, they signed to CBS, but I think this is the, yeah, their last one for reprise before they went to CBS. And then the 80s happened and then the early 90s happened. Um, and then Mike Love discovered rapping. There you go. There you go. But. Yes. Overall, so, yeah. I, re- I I recommend it. I recommend it. I think it's a good listen. Um, even hey, little tomboy, if you if you get the subject and some of the words, I mean, it was, I'm not to be foreboding of the. It was a different time. I mean, thoughts and opinions were different. I'm not saying you should accept it. Everything's subjective, of course. But they are. It is. It is a nice listen, and it doesn't take up any time at all to listen to it. Yeah. Um. It's just, it's almost like quite a, um, you don't have to be too committing with it. Um, it's, you, you can sort of pick it up and drop it. Yeah. But with that, with that half an hour time length in mind, it's, it, it's just so easy to listen to. So easy to pop it on and do something. Um, so yes, I would recommend it and I did enjoy it. So that's that. Have that. <laughs> Have that it's now. Um, yeah, we'll put on, I reckon, maybe the worst offender or a, a, a bad track, whatever you want to call I it. I think we should do my favourite and my least favourite. Winds of Change. Yep. And Hey Little Tomboy. Brilliant picks. Brilliant, brilliant picks. Yeah. Go and listen to Pet Sounds right now. It needs no plug-in. It needs no introduction. Go and listen to it. For God's sake, get it in your ears. <laughs> On to you, Marv. Nice. On to well, you, my son. I'll give you the uh, question slash opinion that I have. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it so give this it is from the New York Times uh, music Twitter post. I think it's around about 3rd of January 2021 this came out. Um, <clears throat> says, the truth is that albums worked as a medium only because everyone was a captive. When you look back at your favorite older albums now, I'm sure you see the weak spots that you'd happily have programmed out if you had the technology then. So do you agree with that statement? What's your kind of thought on, I guess, what that leads on to is now people stream Spotify, other things are available. I was going to say Deezer then. That was the second thing I was going to think of. Deezer. Spotify and Deezer, yeah. Um, Basically, everyone has more control now in these days than ever uh, of what you want to listen to, when you want to listen to it. You can listen to playlists. You you have the disposal of everyone's whole back catalog without having to, you know, like my mum used to do after going to a record shop and going to little booths, and maybe listen to one or side or the other yeah. side and go, yeah, I'll part of my, my money for that. And then you could just, if I want to go listen to an old beach boys record, I can just go do it and go listen to recent, whatever. Um, so I do get what this person's trying to say that there are some albums where you kind of like, Oh yeah, this is the two minute slog, which is just like one guitar drone and some weird poetry or something, you know, or, oh great, I've got to sit with the eight minute thing. I can't even bother to get up, especially like a vinyl thing. But I stand, I like to just sit with the albums and that is a part of it. It's a part of the music listening experience. Um, even if there are dull moments or songs that I don't like, I always sometimes try to try and hear something new, read up about it, research start a podcast maybe um and i just i i take it for what it is 
I don't want to, I don't want to, I get, you know, and I even get used to, you listen to a song uh, off of an album as on its own. And then in your brain, your brain then clicks and goes, oh, this song's coming up next. But then you forget you're listening to the album. Um, I really like that kind of uh, feeling. But Mez, yeah. like, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? You know, um, if you had, if you had the technology back then, let's say CDs uh, before streaming, that you would have scrubbed out and programmed out all the weak tracks off of your favorite records. So it's interesting you say that. Um, my favorite ever status quo album is is an album called Pile Driver. It is brilliant. It's the best thing Quo ever put out. Um, Quick question: Who has a better Who has a better Pile Driver, Kane or the Undertaker? Oh, that's hard to say. Undertaker. Wrong, I'm going to say Undertaker. Undertaker. Because the Undertaker yeah. has a tombstone pile driver. He finishes people off at WrestleMania. Good yeah. night, Irene. Carry on. And then and when they think they've got him, up he sits. Up he sits. Up he sits with them eyes. So, yes. Pile driver. I it's quite funny. I was about to say I love every second of it. There's one song, and I had the CD. There's one song I'd always skip every time, every single time. It is a cover. I I don't particularly dislike the song as such. I mean, I kind of do. Yeah, we'll live with I do. I'll live with that. Um, it's a cover. It's uh, Roadhouse Blues. Obviously, The Doors, Roadhouse Blues. Um, it's seven and a half minutes long. And long. It, it it's just a bit of a jam. A bit of a bluesy jam. I'll go and listen to Voodoo Child if I want a bit of a long bluesy jam. <laughs> or I'll go and look at some Stevie Ray Vaughan live videos if I want a bit of a bluesy jam. Um, Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think I like to take an album as it is. Now, if it was an option between listening to that whole album or listening to it without Roadhouse Blues, I always take without. Because I don't know, I've heard it now. Do you know what I mean? It's to me, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of all right, but don't waste my time. A year, unspoken words, paper plane, big fat mama, give me all these tunes over and over again. I want to hear them. But Roadhouse Blues, no, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Interestingly enough, I do have quite a, a friend or two that is, is of an age where the only thing available was vinyl. And he said to me on a number of occasions, you think you've got it hard, you'll never know the struggle of trying to drop that needle on that record just at the right spot for that song you want. So I think this has been going on for a while. I think the people are now like, oh yeah, we got all this technology now, we can do so much. Yes, we can. And obviously back then you still had to buy it to listen to it. But yeah, I, I think the whole skipping thing and I think that's been happening for longer than people think. Um, I don't do it with my vinyls because when I put a vinyl on for me, it's an event. I, I, I've, I've put that on with the intention of listening to all of it. Um, but yeah, so I'd always skip that one. So the answer would have to be, just to be correct, it would have to be, yeah, I would. I'd, I'd program out the songs I don't want to listen to. Okay, okay, interesting. I mean, on the surface for me, maybe not. Um, just because I like to take bodies of work for what they are. 
and yeah. I view I view maybe the playlist thing as a different entity. Um, but you know, I remember being younger and with cassettes and recording uh, like mixtapes, certain songs. So if that is a way of programming out certain tracks from albums, because you're kind of cherry picking, maybe. But that's kind of thinly veiled for me. Um, I would say maybe the tra- the tape trading scene of like the eight, early eighties that Metallica was very much involved in. Yeah, um, could be another one, but again, I don't think that's a that's a very very loose connection, if anything at all. But <laughs> yeah, for me, I just like to listen to albums all the way through. Um, you know, I may skip an interlude. You know, if I'm listening to Ray to Die, and I'm in a public place, or you know, someone's <laughs> not a see. I know where you're going with this. That was actually going to be my next question. Would you skip a skit? Potentially. Um, But sometimes skits for me can tarnish an album. If there's way too many, their own tracks, it can sometimes just get a little bit boring. I think I I view skits sometimes like saying a joke. I think three times is the limit. Yeah. And that's sometimes too much, isn't it? It is kind of a a bit more of a bit more of the artist's personality coming through uh, without using music as the sort of um, vehicle for that. I mean, I know I I never really got skits at all. I was just kind of like I I don't know about that. You know, I mean, like obviously Eminem's got them, Biggie's got them. The list is endless, but it. yeah, it never it never necessarily appealed to me. I was never one to be like, oh yeah, can't wait for this. Woo! <laughs> it was just kind of like, okay, here's here's that lovely. Yeah, this is something I gotta sit through almost. Yeah, um, I get you. Yeah, um, yes, my album. Here we go then. So I picked the Black Album by Prince. Hey. Um, now if we want an album to be crowned the true Black Album. I think this one wins, Merritt. It's wow. nothing nothing on the cover. It's just a black sleeve. Not even Prince's name. Not even just everything, right? So could 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 you hold, say it hold hold your horses, boy. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. So Metallica had a snake in their name, so that, that doesn't trump it. Jay-Z had him on the cover, doesn't trump it. Weezer had them in paint for their black album, doesn't trump it. Even Spinal Tap, right? Which came out first, technically. Technically. Um, Black Album by Prince came out 1994 or 1987. Depending on what's going on in the story. Um, But it wasn't called the Black Album, was it, Mez? It's called Smell the Glove. Yes. So technically, it's not called the Black Album, even though it is just black. And how much more black could it be, Mez? None. None more black. I think the Black Album by Prince wins because it's called the Black Album. Fair enough. I need to go and watch Spinal Tap no more. Sorry, we're going to pause the podcast. No, I'm joking. Carry on. <laughs> Imagine that. There'd just be so many quotes. There'd be so many quotes. And we don't need another thing to be quoting from. Yes, so this Black Album by Prince. Now, it was meant to be released December 8th, 1987. And you could argue that maybe it nearly was. Um, but its actual official release date was 22nd November 1994. So you've got a good seven-year gap there, Mez. And maybe you're thinking, what, what? I don't get it. I don't get why. Yeah, no. give me one or the other. I'm, I'm... I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. So 
it was going to be called the Funk Bible. So, I mean, maybe technically you could say, well, it wasn't meant to be called the Black Album. Maybe there's still a winner out there. Maybe there is the true Black Album there somewhere. Um, this was meant to be released in December of 87. It was meant to follow up um, Sign of the Times, which was released in March 87. So again, Prince, as if people don't know, so hugely prolific that even now, Amazing. I bet there's so many things in his vault that's unreleased. I just think he's, if any legalities happen where his music can be released, it's going to be so, so much of it. It's, it's going to be an be, endless stream for a long time. It's going to be an endless stream, indeed. Um, Sign of the Times was a big success for Prince. He was definitely in his classic period in the 80s. The man could do no wrong. Um, and he's hitting bangers at the park each release, you know. But with the non-release of this album, um, it kind of ended his critical peak. Um, he was then moving into his like, less sex-focused kind of works, into his like, symbol era. Uh, which where he was waging war on his record company. So essentially, he wanted to release music whenever he wanted to, but his contract was like, nope, one album a year, and he's getting frustrated. So he didn't go underneath Prince. He went under a symbol, um, which, you know, big story. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. Um, but basically, he just stayed on tour until his contract ran out. Fair enough, isn't it? That's what I'd do. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So... The story goes that he made this album, the Black Album, um, according to his engineer, Susan Rogers at Paisley Park, that um, Sheila E., who was his fiance at the time, and she was a drummer, she was Prince's drummer, he made this album to be played at her birthday party. Um, and apparently it was, it was nothing more than just mindless party songs for the DJ to play. That's what Susan Rogers said. Um, and that not much thought went into them. So... The image of Prince just bashing out these eight songs for his fiance's birthday party to play in the background is exactly what you believe him to do. It's exactly what you think. Oh, I'm, I'm repainting my kitchen uh, next week, Prince. Oh, is it? I'll, uh, I'll get you a double album out, yeah? yeah. Donald Wise from Manchester, having it large, purple rain, 1999, have that. Exactly what he would do. Exactly what he'd do. So prolific. He's so prolific, it hurts the brain. Um, and Susan Rogers also said the music on this album is something that he can make in his sleep. She's like, it's that easy for him. Why? My initial, again, I'm not a aficionado of Prince. Um, I don't know all of his albums off by heart. I'm a best of guy. I have Purple Rain. Very, very, very good album. Um, I got into him through skate videos, like a lot of things. Um, and I'm a little red Corvette. I remember I Would Die For You. And Raspberry Beret, I remember that being on a UK skate video, actually. Um, just, oh, just great. Really good. Really perked my ear up. Let's Go Crazy as well, uh, which was on like a Girl Yeah Right special edition thing. All the skaters know I'm on about. Uh, my friend Turkey, who was John's twin brother, he loves Prince. Uh, he really likes Diamonds and Pearls, and that is a banger. He definitely got me into that. So big up, Turkey. He was hyped when I said to him I was going to do Prince. He was like, so hyped. So he didn't like this one then. So now Prince is all good. You know, he's done some of the times. He is prolific. He's ready to go. He's selling out stadiums. Now he is, uh, you know, he's, he's ready. So this album is done. He's waiting for it to come out. We're on the night of December the 1st, 1987. Now this is dubbed Blue Tuesday. 
Now, this is a version of events that I have cobbled together, and that could be what happens. Prince played an advanced copy of the album at a nightclub. He met a poet called Ingrid Chavez. He then asked his dancer, Cat Glover, to provide him some MDMA, because Cat Glover was on MDMA. He went, I like I, that sounds good. Let me have a go. Apparently, Cat Glover got it from Anthony Kiedis, who's from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, lead singer. Don't know how true that is. Um, Cat Glover instructs Prince to take take a certain dose. Prince takes double the dose. Um, he then went back to Paisley Park, which is his big kind of recording studio house, um, with Ingrid Chavez, and he had intense conversations with her, and he had hallucinations as well. So he was tripping balls. And he convinced himself that he had met an angel, a literal angel in her which then led him to believe that the Black Album was a work of evil created under the influence of like a satanic energy that he called Spooky Electric, which was an alter ego of his. Um, he also has another alter ego called Camille, uh, which kind of plays in a little bit here because Camille is like a female um, that he was set to have an album released, kind of like this one. He was going to have an album called camille had it had no title on it just said camille that was um his alter ego it was like pitch shifted up so he sounds like a woman um but that eventually got like left unreleased um so yeah he had this kind of mdma freak out um and then was like it's a work of evil get it off the shelves now get it off the shelves so this was like within a week december 1st this happened december 8th was going to be released he was like get it recalled now so from from what I can gather, I don't think it got actually got released and then people had to get it taken off of them. I think it didn't even it didn't even hit the shelves. It got put on the shelves ready, but it got taken off. Um, and what he did is he got set to work straight away on its replacement, which was Love Sexy, which he views as a gospel album. And it kind of helped him align back with God. Um, and it's definitely the start of the toning down of his like sexual kind of side, um, even though it's got a lot of allusions to sex and things um so i guess by this thing this is one of the most bootlegged albums of all time it's very rare as well just considering what it's like um if you do get an original lp um it should cost you about two grand two thousand dollars to procure it um i wish someone would pay two grand for my music woe is me woe is life woe is the woe of woe <laughs> and that would be the, that would be the title woe is the yeah. woe of woe and what I would do is I'd make sure that when you opened it up, you know, you know, when you get uh, birthday cards that talk and they have little music, you know, it's your birthday. Hey, it's your birthday, Mads. You know, little idea I've got going on there. That'd be one of the tracks, actually. Um, I'd have that. So when you open up the LP sleeve, it'd be me telling you not to play it and that it's cursed. All right. Am I boring you? No, just long wicked. <laughs> oh, back in, back in. He's no, that's a cool in. idea. It's a cool I'm going to do it. That, so we'll write some tracks. Where was the word of woe? That is an absolutely insane story. Yeah. So this perfect black... Is it available to listen to? I listen to it on YouTube. So okay. I'm just going to... I'm going to assume that... Well, it got released in 1994. Oh, right. So okay. So it obviously still exists. Yeah. For a short period of time, it did get released. So I, it isn't on Spotify, but I listen to it on YouTube. 
And um, what was funny was when I was looking at the track listing on the little uh, on a pinned comment, someone had interspersed in Metallica's Black Album songs as well. So I had like um, the first track is called Le Grind. So I had Enter Le Grind. That's funny. That's Sad but Cindy funny. C. It kind of was a bit confusing, but it was all right. So yes, it did get released. But anyways, so what's weird again? So you know, he says his work of evil, completely just like hate it, get it gone, get it gone to the point where he actually actively doesn't want it released. But he still performs some tracks from this album on the Love Sexy tour, um, which was like it was put in the set list to showcase his darker side. You know, he had, he had pretty big set lists, uh, big kind of overarching stories. So considering that no one or a very select few amount of people have actually heard these tracks at this time, which was 87 to, you know, I, I believe 87 to 89, maybe 90. Um, you could probably make the connection of Prince is playing these songs for himself. So he must hold them in some regard to play them live. They can't be that bad or horrible or evil or anything in this kind of thing. Um, his disdain for this album can be seen in the video for Alphabet Street. Um, you can see like a font that goes down. And if you pause it, it says, don't buy the black album. I'm sorry. Why? So he is full on. Do not even go there, buddy. But to argue the opposite, there's a song called When Two Are In Love, which was taken from the black album. He also put this on Love Sexy. So the, the thing to fill its place which implies that perhaps he wasn't hateful of the songs themselves, you know? That's what I don't get. That's what I don't get. Susan Rogers, his engineer, says that the Black Album was kind of created as a middle finger to the press because they were saying that he was just going really pop, kind of lost lost touch with his roots and his black audience. So he kind of was a bit like, nah, I'm going to do the Funk Bible, I'm going to do the Black Album, and visually made it completely black. And it's essentially a lot of funky, funky songs funky riffs um kind of think think uh think ll cool j run dmc type hip-hop uh arrangements and sounds okay and then put in loads of james brown then put in prince that's kind of where we are that's that's the melting pot so to speak um but yes there's also reports from being very depressed and angry around this time um the backing band that he had the revolution split up so kind of like pinkerton in the way he kind of needed a place to like channel that energy um, I need to put it into this album. This album isn't angry at all. This album is is lovely. It is almost like the Beach Boys thing, kind of typical Prince. You could play someone a track off of this and go, like, you know, what does Prince sound like? Play them a track off this, you go, like, the grind, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, the final paradox I kind of got here can be kind of seen in the story of its release. So, Warner Brothers is the record label that he was on. Obviously, Prince is doing great for them critically and commercially. They obviously want a Prince album to come out, but they kept trying to release it since this 87 recall. So what they tried to do in 1991 was try to pair it with the greatest hits. So disc one be the greatest hits, disc two would be the black albums. You know, people are kind of getting something, should sell well, whatever. Prince was like, nah, ain't doing that. Um, bearing in mind the album he did before this in 1990, which was Graffiti Street, which I believe also was like a movie that he did too, didn't sell very well. Wasn't critically um received but prince refused goes nah I'm, I'm not doing that just leave it alone it's evil get out of my sight um and they were like well you know you didn't set your last record didn't really sell that well but the record he actually then released instead of that greatest hits was diamonds and pearls sold amazingly um so well done prince 
Uh, when it finally got released in 1994, no singles to promote it. It was out of print come January 95. So I think a couple of months, not even that, not even that. Um, here's the weird paradox of it. So he was spiritually against it, this album. But Warner Brothers went, how does a million dollars sound to release it? And he went, he went, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 you can, you can have that then. Go, go on then. So, Mez, do we view this as an act of selling out? Or knowing that then Prince was going to go to war with his record company and he really wanted to just keep releasing stuff and they were withholding and all these contractual obligations, do you view it as like a way to swindle his record company? Because if I was put in that case, hey, it's an album that you hate and maybe even don't necessarily agree with or maybe a spiritual thing had happened in me, but they went, here's a million bucks. I think I'd be a fool to turn it down. Merit, where do you stand yourself personally if this happened to you? Well, me personally. You personally, indeed. And how do you view this move by Prince? Is it selling out or is it a swindle of the record company? I, I think it's a joke, to be honest with you. A million dollars or not. You, if, if you're against it, I'm joking. <laughs> million quid? Mate, yeah, of course you could have it. I'll tell you what, I'll drive the test pressing up to the offices and I will shine your shoes while you listen to it. <laughs> um, I think it's... <laughs> It's interesting because obviously you say he's very spiritually against it. Prince is very much all about his, I like this, I'm proud of this, I'll release it. Um, And he obviously wasn't proud of that. He didn't like it. But I'm going to trail you to a weird sort of connection here. Um, Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells, first thing put out on Virgin Records, did insanely well because it's, it's Tubular Bells. Um, Mike Oldfield took acid when he was in his late teens, early 20s, and it changed him completely. In his own words, no, I think it was Magic Mushrooms, actually. It was it was something like that to that effect. Other drugs are available, of course. <clears throat> and it, uh, it ruined him. It absolutely ruined him. He, all of his worst fears came to life. Um, in the street. He was like, I couldn't even walk down the street. And this nightmare continued for him for years until he actually sought therapy and helped himself out, got in a good spot. Even to this day, he still feels the effects of that because he had a real, real bad experience, um, which is understandable. You're altering the state of your brain. That's that's kind of the whole point of drugs. Um, but anyway, yeah, he... There are reports of when he was recording Tubular Bells, he was walking around the studio. He was wearing no shoes or socks. He was constantly crying all the time, just always crying uh, because of how messed up his drugs made him. I compare that to the Prince story of it's all done, it's all ready, it's on the shelves, it's ready to go. Then he takes a little bit too much MDMA. That's what I think happened. I think the drugs influenced him and I think they continued to influence him for years to come. Um, I don't think he sold out. I think the definition of selling out to me is completely changing your style, the things you write about, 
for a contractual obligation for money. Um, but I, he didn't change his style entirely. Not at that time. They just went, yeah, you're all right, mate. How's it going? Yeah, you're all right. And it, he's even got on the phone before they said, hey, he's gone, don't talk about that bloody black album. Or I'll call you all silly gooses. You know that, don't you? <laughs> you? You know I'll do that, don't you? And they've gone, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. Anyway, do you like money? Uh, yeah, I like money. Yeah, um, I, I like I like spirituality and and singing about sex and being a sex symbol and all this and that. But I like money. Yeah, yeah. Go on, whisper. This is still Prince, by the way. Yeah, this is still yourself. Prince. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go on, whisper in me ear, kid. And they offered it. And as much as you know, spirituality is all grand and fine. Spirituality don't give you a million old smackaroonies, do it, Marvo? <laughs> You're not wrong. So You're I mean, not wrong. Hey, man's got to eat. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, no, I don't think he's selling out. Not by definition. I think he sold his music for money, which is something I wish to attain one day. Um, You'll get there, kid. You'll get there. Yeah, I'll just have to learn the guitar first. It's pretty challenging, but you know. Just just uh, left and right and up and down, right? Something That's like it. that, yeah. Okay, um, okay. But also, given the, the prolific nature of this individual, <laughs> the amount of music that must exist that no one's ever heard, apart from him, maybe his engineer, maybe one or two musicians. Um, I mean, I don't really think... I think at that point, he probably just went, you know what, I, whatever in it. Like, it's not like he was strapped for cash in 1994, I can't imagine. Do you know what I mean? I don't think so, no. So, all the critics are raving, and all these stories and these stories, he's just taking the money. <laughs> exactly you could even argue you know he did the batman soundtrack i think in yeah, 1989 yeah yeah maybe you could view that as selling out interesting fact that it was on on its official release warner brothers ran an ad in billboard and they went right the first thousand people that send in their bootleg copies of the album will will send you an official copy don't worry about it no questions asked kind of like a bootleg amnesty box i think that's pretty cool you get your kind of original stuff there. Um, I know Bono is a big fan of this album. So of course he is. Of course he is. He, is. he loves it. Um, you know, for an album of songs bashed out in an easy manner, you know, that he can play in his sleep, just to soundtrack a birthday party. And it goes on to, you know, it goes on to, to cause Prince to freak out, get it recalled, you know, because he was going to then release it as an album, gets it recalled, and then the record label, like, please let us release it. He goes, no. Gets a million dollars from it, from eight tracks that he's just bashed out by himself, whatever, and a few other helping hands. Just because that's easy. I mean, not go bad on life. the boys. Not a bad go life, on the is boys. it, really? Not a bad life, indeed. And it's definitely one of the most unique stories of any album I've, I've encountered. Yeah, that's ever. mad. Absolutely insane. Um but yeah, the whole album's got like a huge party feel. It's very enjoyable. Like the rhythms and sounds are just enjoyable everywhere you turn. Um, Bob George is the only track which kind of takes a break from the fun, but it's still like still a worthwhile listen. The whole album is just like like you said about the Beach Boys one. I'd say it's very very easily um, digestible. It doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, Le Grind's got catchy vocal hooks started everywhere. Prince is putting on an English accent at points, which is just like strange. But I mean. It's Prince and it can do what he wants. Cindy C, which is named after Cindy Crawford, 
It's got really great horn parts. And the whole song could really sum up the 80s for anyone wasn't there for it. Dead On It actually features rapping by Prince and has a really, really funky guitar line. The first kind of really noticeable, catchy guitar riff. Um, and it's got the best line of the whole album, which goes like this. All the sisters like it when you lick them on the knees. Legend. Bob George track. It gives us this slowed down Prince voice, which I want to say is the spooky electric alter ego. Um, he's portraying a pimp who is arguing with his girlfriend for cheating on him with, with Prince. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, make, so, it makes sense. But yeah. why there's a song that exists is Prince, what am I saying? It's Prince. And it also has a good line. He goes, that skinny motherfucker with the high voice. So he's trashing himself. Yeah, I love Trashing somebody else. Go on, Prince. Uh, when Tour in Love, you know, I think it's a great pop song. Uh, it's definitely like the R&B pop prototype you'd see in the late 90s to 2005 that we've talked about in previous episodes. That like guitar sound played on the keyboard, very synthetic. Um, it's got really interesting, like diminished run uh, from a playing perspective. Very interesting one, which you don't really hear in those pop songs. Uh, a satisfying modulation kind of pushes you back into the warmth of the verse and really nice harmonies that sound, you know, now I know where D'Angelo's getting all of his influence from in terms of his vocal yeah. harmonies from Prince. This song, you know, maybe not specifically, but you hear it, you hear it. Uh, the best title here is Super Funky Califragisexy. Say that after 55 Rum and Cokes. Um, it also has the most ear-catching intro synths. They're kind of like jarring, but they work. Like a bit out of tune, but really, really cool. And again, I'm having a great time with this record. None of it is evil. None of, none of it sounds dark. That's the weird thing as well. Like he's saying it's evil and got weird spiritual horribleness to it, but it's a very light-hearted, funky album that you would hear played in, in a party, you know? Um, rock hard in a funky place, right? Amazing horn work, great guitar solo. That only scratches like the kind of surface of Prince's like, you know, axe-wielding prowess. Um, yeah, the whole album, really enjoyable. Really, really enjoyable. I don't I don't understand, really, but where this evilness comes from, this darkness pit, that kind of period comes from. But yeah, definitely he is not, he was not a fan of it at all. But he did play um, The Grind live. He used to put on concerts at his Paisley Palace home. And he did a vocal and sampler set. Because this is what's great about Prince is he'll do full band. Then he'll do acoustic guitar set. Then he'll do piano set, uh, a DJ set. And he did a vocal and sampler set. And he played Le Grind for the first and only time. So further proves my point. Kind of like the Pinkerton thing. Like, okay, you've had time away from it. Are you, you know, are you still mad at it? People, people want this music out. Just very confusing. Yeah, that's that's so weird. That's so weird. I, I, I literally cannot think of another another album that's had that kind of trajectory, that kind of story, you know? That's insane, isn't it? It's just a big story with lots of different bits and pops. Um, yeah, very, very confusing, very sort of big. Um, but I suppose when you are as big as Prince, you can, you can do things like that and go, nope, not releasing that. And then go, you know what? I'll start the follow-up. Uh, right now, and then do a whole new album that sells really well. Absolutely, <laughs> absolute mad, madness. But that's all I got, mess. That is all I've that's got. All you got, kid. Um, that's all I got, kid. 
what we'll probably do now is we're going to take a, I reckon a two week break. Yep. Mainly because, you know, gigging is now starting to, you know, be a thing maybe. So our schedules might be getting even more busier. A little bit strictier. You know, when you've got work and you've got rehearsing and you've got other commitments that you've already kind of, you know, got in your life and just general day to day. Um, we just need to kind of, yeah, we need to like have a little bit of a refresher, come back. We've got a lot of big plans for podcasts as well. Um, we'll just have a little revamp maybe in terms of like how we structure the show. And then we want to start this new series because it's so we'll pick a band, we'll pick an artist, we'll pick a genre. Um, we might do it as smaller episodes. Um, you know, I don't want to say we'll do like this, continue these ones and then do it because it's twice a week. I think maybe that might be pushing it, but we'll definitely do it because it's, we're going to get a lot more special guests. We're going to try and get them confirmed and booked in. Um, see if we can get some different people on. That'd be really, really good. Um, also want to get people's music to play on here. Yes. And get a big old database of that. We do have a couple of people, but we'll wait, but we want them to come on the show to then play their music. Um, and there will be one or two more tracks featured from my upcoming album. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And just a little, little, two more fun things from me. Um, number one, I checked our our Podbean account the other day, and I spotted that we've hit over three hundred plays. So thank you so much to all of our listeners. We, I, that's amazing. Never imagined that. Well, to be honest, I didn't know what I'd imagine where we'd be doing with this now. But episode ten, three hundred plays. That's very, very cool. Very humbled. Uh, keep giving us yeah. your money. Um, because we need it more than you. Uh, no, Mez, no, no, that's the other, uh, that's your inside yeah, thought. Yeah, 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 um, uh, no, Very cool, very, very cool, very humbled by that. And um, our guest from the other week, Hashim, me and him are going to be doing a collaboration video before long. We haven't decided on the song yet, but keep an eye out for that, because it's going to be a ripper. Nice. Love to hear that. But yeah, generally, I... I you know, even just, just doing this podcast was more just like a pipe dream of like, that sounds like a good idea. I had it around my head for ages. And, you know, surprisingly, it's it's it was just to kind of just keep in contact with people. Yeah. You know, like people from, our, you know, uni friends or friends we maybe lost touch of a little bit have just gone, oh, that's really cool. And you have discussions with them. But the fact that, you know, like someone's played us in India kind of astounds Insane. me. Someone's played us in America, like. You know, and you get people following you that you've never heard. and you Really cool. Don't know, and it's like, really cool, really humbling. So we hope that we can keep pushing that, pushing that. Um, but yeah, we'll take about a two-week break. We'll be back. We're going to re, re, revisit all the episode lists, and it's going to be great. I can't wait, bud. And me neither. Me neither either also as well, and yeah, yo! <laughs> um, so we're going to go off with one of my songs again. Oh, I will be releasing. Hell. I will be releasing uh, a crazier, which I did play. I want to say a few episodes back. Yes. Um, as a, as a single, features you on your guitar solo. So I will be doing that. Check Afroloon for the details on that one. And this track is from wherever you go. There you are, which I released a few weeks ago, and it's called Prey. And I will be trying to put together an EP with uh, some of my good friends, some good singers to put on there. And it's going to be great. But yes, this one's called Pray. Uh, it's probably the first track I actually wrote 
for this record. Very cool. And really likes it. I'm hyped on it. Mez is hyped for it. He doesn't care. And what I might do, I might say I'll release it as a single, you know, that one or crazier. Recall it off the shelf and then go, hi, is this Warner Brothers? Yeah, so that one million. Uh, <laughs> do you want to do it PayPal? Do you want to do it Bax? Whatever. I'm gone. See you later, kids. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Cheers.